Well, good morning, Waterstone. My name is Luke. I am on staff here with our student ministry, and my wife and I also co-lead the 20s and 30s ministry. And I have the honor this morning of introducing our guest preacher. And his name is Dave Matthewson. He is currently a New Testament professor at Denver Seminary. Before that, he was out at Gordon-Conwell, and he has his PhD from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, he's actually someone I've had as a professor twice now in my seminary career. So to me, he's Professor Matthewson, Dr. Matthewson. But growing up, he's always been Uncle Dave. And now that the boring introduction is over, you get the family version introduction. So yesterday I had to call his older brother, my dad, find some dirt. And stories I know, I had to get the details right to make sure I could actually tell them correctly. But when they would go back, when they were teenagers, to the family farm in Pennsylvania, they would rain terror on my aunts and uncles, especially poor great aunt Carolyn and great uncle Ronnie. There was a time where a window was open, so they thought, hey, we got a smoke bomb, let's throw it in there. And their goal was usually to try to make them late to church, so there was a time where the power companies or telephone company, I'm not sure, was out there replacing their lines, and so some of the poles were down, and, and there was one they weren't using, so they had the great idea of taking one of those huge telephone poles, somehow moving it back behind their driveway so they couldn't get out in the morning and Poor Carolyn and Ronnie and their Sunday best had to move that. Another time they had the great idea of jacking up the back of their car, putting blocks underneath so that the tires were just far enough off the ground that they wouldn't go anywhere. And then by far my personal favorite is they found every single garden hose they could. They connected all of them and Ronnie and Carolyn's house is not that big so they wrapped them all around so that they couldn't open the door out to go to church in the morning. So that, Waterstone, is the man you are getting this morning to preach. I'm just kidding. It really is an honor. As he comes up here, would you guys welcome him? <laughs> All right, well, <clears throat> any little credibility I had just went out the window. But thanks, Luke. Those are bold words for somebody who hasn't graduated yet from seminary. <laughs> and since I hold the grade book, I have the last laugh, so I'll remember this time. Anyway, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this morning we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what I want to do is, in helping us to think about that, I want to look at one text this morning in particular. Uh, but before we do, let's open the prayer. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to come together and look into your word, and we ask for the help of your spirit to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own, and that is be convinced of its truthfulness and how it uh, should shape and transform our lives. So that's what we want this morning, and for that we ask for your help and guidance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I, I, I want to read uh, to you this morning from the 2019 Colorado Big Game Laws. Just hang with me for a minute. Uh, these are the hunting laws for center fire rifles, if you're a rifle hunter, 
uh, must be a minimum of 24 caliber, or 6mm. Must have a minimum 16-inch barrel and at least the entire gun 26 inches long. If semi-automatic, a maximum of six rounds are allowed in the magazine and the chamber combined. Uh, you must use expanding bullets that weigh a minimum of 70 grains for deer, pronghorn, and bear, 85 grains for elk and moose, and have an impact uh, energy at uh, 100 yards of 1,000 foot-pounds as rated by the manufacturer. It is illegal to hunt game birds, small game animals, or fur bears with a center fire rifle larger than 23 caliber during regular rifle deer and elk season west of I-25 without an unfilled deer or elk license for the season. A small game fur bear or unfilled game, uh, big game license is required. Muzzle loading, if you hunt with muzzle loaders. Only legal muzzle loaders allowed in muzzle loading seasons. Inline muzzle loaders are legal. They must be single barrel that fires a single round ball or conical projectile. To hunt deer, pronghorn, or bear, conical bullets must be a minimum of 40 caliber, and round ball bullets must be a minimum of 50 caliber. To hunt elk or moose, conical bullets must be a minimum of 50 caliber, and round ball bullets must be a minimum of 54 caliber. I'll stop there, I promise. Now you're probably wondering why in the world did I read that? The reason is because for a lot of people, their conception of the Christian life is like these game laws. It's just a list of do's and don'ts, a list of rules and regulations that you are required to follow. People react to that in different ways. For, for some of you, you may think about that and say, well, I, I don't want that. I'm free in Christ, so no one's going to tell me what to do, and I'm not going to submit to any list of rules and regulations. I, I'm free from that. For others, they find some comfort in rules and regulations. If, if I can just find the 20 things I have to do to have the victorious Christian life, or, or if I can just figure out what are the top 10 things I need to do to live life pleasing to God, or, or what are the terrible 12 that I need to avoid if I'm to live life as God desires. But, but is that what the Christian life is about? Is the Christian life nothing more than following a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations? To help us answer that question, I want to look at one passage of Scripture. It's one that probably some of you have memorized, and that's Galatians chapter 5 and 22 through 26, the well-known fruit of the Spirit passage. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. In the book of Galatians, the author, the Apostle Paul, is, is addressing a group of Christians that thought that perhaps they needed a list of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts to enable them to live the Christian life. In fact, there was another group, a group of Jewish Christians, who were trying to convince the Christians in Galatia that they needed to submit to the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. And without that, they could not live the kind of life that God desired. Uh, 
And so the entire book of Galatians is basically Paul trying to convince the Christians in Galatia that they do not need to submit to the law in order to be justified. They are justified solely by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and not by any works, not by works of the law. The idea of justification simply means to be declared innocent, uh, to be declared not guilty, to, to be in a right standing before God. And Paul tells them, in order to have that, all you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ. And, and good works, works of the law are not necessary. Now that might raise the question, well, does that mean if, if, if we're justified solely by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works, does that mean that Christians are left without any moral guidance? Does that mean that Christians can live life how they choose and how they want? Does that mean they can do whatever they want? The answer to that question comes in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says nothing could be further from the truth. God's people are not free to do whatever they want. God's people are not free from moral constraint. God's people are not with, left without guidance. But it doesn't come through submitting to a list of do's and don'ts or laws like the Colorado hunting laws. Instead, the answer is, it comes from the Holy Spirit that God has caused to dwell in you and in me. Now that seems simple enough. And you probably know this passage. A lot of you have this passage memorized. You'll find these nine fruits of the Spirit on, on plaques and posters, maybe in your house or in the Christian bookstore or something like that. But I want to go back to this passage, and I, I want you to notice five things very briefly with me this morning. And then we'll put this together and wrap it up and ask, what does this say to you and I today? Holy Spirit in this passage is, is not something brand new. Sometimes I think when Holy Spirit is a Christian thing, it's something to do with the New Testament and the Apostle Paul, and the Old Testament was all about Israel and works and the law, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit pops up in the New Testament, and, and we're tempted to spirit. When the first readers heard the Holy Spirit, their minds would have gone back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we find that through the prophets, God promised that one day he would pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. And when he would pour out his Spirit on his people, it would enable them to obey his laws. laws. It, it would enable his people to follow his ways and obey him in a way that they couldn't before. Books like e Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, read that sometime. Joel chapter 2, scattered all throughout the book of Isaiah, are promises that one day in the future God would pour out His Spirit on His people and enable them to live life as God desired and required. And Galatians 5 is now telling us that has already happened. Those promises from the Old Testament are already fulfilled with God pouring out His Spirit on his people to produce his fruits. 
So that's the first thing you need to understand. The second thing you need to understand about this passage is this, is, this list of fruits is not an exhaustive list. I, I think sometimes we get caught up with the fact there's nine of them and we focus on just these nine and if we do these nine, that's all that we need to worry about. Uh, I'm convinced that this is not an exhaustive list. It's only representative of the kinds of things the Holy Spirit does in the life of God's people. Notice the phrase in verse uh, 23 when Paul uh, goes on and says, against such things there is no law. That little phrase, such things, suggests this is only a representative list. It's these kinds of things that the Spirit produces in the life of God's people. This is only a sampling of or represent, a representation of the kinds of ways that God shows up in the life of His people, the sorts of fruits that God's Spirit produces in the life of God's people. Notice, too, that this list is it's not a list of activities. It's not a list of rules. Rather, it's a list of attitudes and virtues that no list can possibly produce. There, there's no list of do's and don'ts that can make you love someone. There's no list of do's and don'ts that can produce joy and peace and patience and goodness in the life of someone. There, there's no list of rules and regulations that can produce these kinds of things. And, and, and that's Paul's point. The very fruit that God wants to see in God's people does not come from submission to a, a list of do's and, do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. Now, I'm not saying do, uh, uh, rules and regulations are unnecessary. We'll come back to that. But Paul's point is these sorts of things cannot be produced by the top ten activities or the top ten do's or the top ten don'ts that Christians ought to follow. So this is not an exhaustive list, but representative of the sorts of fruit that God's Spirit desires to produce in His people. The third thing I want you to notice is, why are these called fruit? I, was always, I always thought growing up and was taught, well, the reason it's called fruit is because these are things that we do not manufacture. Uh, these are things that we do not work for and produce on our own, but they come only through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they're fruit. In contrast, works, if you back up a few verses, uh, Paul talks about the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. Works are things that we produce and we do. But, but uh, uh, Paul reserves the word fruit for the things that the Spirit does. Uh, there's probably some truth to that in this passage, because indeed, Paul's point is, these are things that God's people cannot produce on their own. But that's only part of the truth. Elsewhere in the New Testament, some authors, including Jesus, are quite happy to use the language of fruit to refer to evil deeds. And elsewhere, Paul's quite happy to use the word works to refer to the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, we are created for good works. Or Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us, work out your salvation. Same words used here. So why does he use fruit primarily? The reason is, actually we have to go back to the Old Testament. 
The reason is this. In the Old Testament, God anticipates a day. Through his prophets, God promises that one day he will bring about a new creation. He will fix all that is wrong with this world and this creation. He will will bring about a renewal, a transformation of his people and all creation. And he will do that through his Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that will give life to the new creation. It is through the Holy Spirit that God's people will be transformed and renewed. Those passages I already mentioned, Ezekiel 36 and 37, passages throughout Isaiah, Joel chapter 2, Jeremiah, they all anticipate a coming new creation when God will renew all things and when he will pour out his Spirit to renew all creation and especially his people. But accompanying that will be fruitfulness. Creation itself will bear fruit. But according to the prophet Isaiah, God's people will bear fruit. That fruitfulness in the prophet Isaiah, is the fruit is things like joy and peace and righteousness. So what's going on here? When Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit, he's basically saying... In advance of that day, and if you want to see the end of the story, the final, ultimate new creation, read Revelation 21 and 22. But but Paul's convinced that already, because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has already begun the process of recreating all things. And it starts by God pouring out his Spirit on his people, as the Old Testament prophets promised, It starts by God pouring out His Spirit on His people who produce the fruit of the new creation. Fruit like love, joy, peace, goodness, patience. Fruit of the new creation. So this this list is is not, this isn't just Paul saying, "Here's, here's how to live as a good Christian. Or here's what the Christian life looks like. This is Paul saying, In advance of the new creation, God is already renewing all things by pouring out His Spirit on His people who produce the fruit of the new creation by living life characterized by these things. The fourth thing that I want you to notice is your ability and my ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit is also based on what has already happened in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 24 that if if we belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh or the sinful nature, depending on your translation. The sinful nature of the flesh is who I am as susceptible and prone to sin. And Paul says, if we're in Christ, we've already crucified that. We've put that to death and its passions and desires. And instead of producing the passions and desires of the sinful nature, now we produce the fruit of the Spirit because God's Spirit dwells in us. In Christ, this flesh has been put to death. The flesh no longer has mastery over us so that we obey its passions and desires. Now, because of Christ's work on the cross, we have the indwelling spirit to produce the fruits of the new creation. 
And the fifth and final thing is that even though we have crucified the sinful nature, Paul says we still live in this sinful world. We still await the final redemption. And, 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 and although that sinful nature no longer has mastery over us, it, it tends to rear its ugly head once in a while. And therefore, notice verse 24, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 25, Paul says, therefore, because of that, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Notice, that's interesting, that's a command. God's people are commanded to keep in step with the Spirit, to, to follow the path laid out by the Spirit, which is the fruit in 22 and 23. We're, we're, commanded, to, we're commanded to follow the lead of the Spirit. You see, the, the Christian life, some people when they think of fruit and the idea of the Spirit producing fruit, uh, the, the, spirit, the, the Christian life is not something that's passive. We, we don't sit around and, and wait for the Spirit to uh, take charge and produce fruit in our life. I grew up hearing two sayings, and I still hear them once in a while, and maybe you've heard these. One of them is, let go and let God. That sounds very pious, that I'm not, I, I need to stop striving and stop working, and I just need to let God work in my life. The other one is uh, curiously kind of the opposite of that, and that is God helps those who help themselves. So I, I need to start working. I need to, uh, to, to get busy and work, and when I do, then God will jump in and help me out. I would suggest to you, based on this passage, those two sayings are, are not so much wrong as they are incomplete and only partially correct. You see, on the one hand, Paul, by calling these fruit of the Spirit, Paul is telling us that this is something only the Holy Spirit working on our lives can produce. Love, joy, patience, etc. But on the other hand, in verse 25, Paul still can command us, but you still need to keep in step with the Spirit. God's people still need to follow the path laid out by the Spirit. You and I still must show joy and peace and patience and love. But when we do, it's only because the Holy Spirit enables us to do so. But the, interestingly, the fact that the Holy Spirit produces these fruit does not let us off the hook from being responsible to show these in our lives and to follow the path laid out by the Spirit. So what does all this have to do with you and I? The Christian life ultimately is not produced by adhering to a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. But instead, it's only produced by the Holy Spirit powerfully producing the fruit of the new creation in you and in me. It's produced when we follow the path laid out by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it requires that you and I show things like love, joy, peace. In fact, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What's that doing here? I, I think that's simply Paul's way of instructing the 
Galatian Christians, here's an example of what it looks like to produce the fruit of the Spirit, especially love. It means that, that you will not be conceited, that you won't provoke each other. It means that you won't envy what, what each other has. Th that's one of the ways it looks like to produce the fruit of, of, of love and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit. So, we must show love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering. We must love each other. That's the way we show the Spirit. But when we do those things, we can be assured it's only because the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the new creation in our lives. D does that mean that we don't need laws and regulations and rules? If, if uh, you watch college football, you're glad that there are rules and, and regulations, especially when your team's losing and you hope they win. No, sometimes laws and rules and regulations are necessary to guide us and to instruct us. Again, that's what Paul's doing in verse 26. Go on and read chapter 6 of Galatians. It's full of instructions and commands. Uh, those are not new. This isn't a list of the top 10 things Christians need to do, but those are ways to instruct God's people as to here's what the fruit of the Spirit should look like in your midst. Here are practical, specific ways that living life under the power of the Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit should look like in your midst. So sometimes rules and regulations are necessary to guide us, to instruct us, to correct us, to get us on the right path. But the point is to ultimately rely on them is not what produces the life that God desires. Because first of all, we've already seen, no list of do's and don'ts can produce things like love. No, no list of commands can make you patient. No top ten things for the Christian to avoid can make you show self-control. Only the Holy Spirit working in your midst and actively producing His fruit in you when you submit to the Spirit and follow His path. The other thing, the other problem with list of rules and regulations is they don't capture everything. They miss things. As soon as you compile a list of the 20 top things Christians need to do, you're, you're going to be in a situation where you find that it doesn't apply. It's left something out. But the point is, this, the, the fruits of the Spirit transcend any list. And I think what Paul is saying is when, when you let the Spirit produce His fruit in your life, you can be guaranteed that you will not miss anything. That you will leave things out in your life. So the Christian life is a life governed by love and the fruit of the Spirit. But it only happens when you choose to keep in step with the Spirit and follow the Spirit's leading. And then you can be assured the Spirit is producing the fruit of the new creation in your life. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to produce His fruit in us. 
a fruit that we show when we respond in obedience and when we humbly rely on the Holy Spirit in us. Let's close in prayer. Father, our our desire as your people is to live the life that you require of us. That as, as you've instructed us here, this is not just an arbitrary list of rules and regulations. This, this is the fruit of the new creation. By living, by, by living this out, by allowing your Spirit to produce its fruits in us, we anticipate right now the life of the new creation in the future. Right now, you are renewing all things, and starting with us, you've poured out your Spirit in us to produce the fruit of the new creation. A fruit that no list of rules and regulations, as as helpful as they are to instruct at times and guide us, a list that cannot ultimately produce the life that you desire. For that, help us to humbly follow the steps of the Spirit. Help us to humbly keep in step with the Spirit and follow the path laid out for us in producing the fruit of the new creation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.